The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 331, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Thursday, January 28th, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. All right, lots to discuss. Of course, this is our first uh, gaming and entertainment edition of MTR for 2016. Got to get some housekeeping out of the way, but before I forget, I do want to remind you guys that Slick will be doing a stream after the show tonight. Um, he is going to be streaming Lego Avengers. Uh, the links for that are on our Facebook's, uh, Facebook group. You can go there, just punch in Rageworks, and it'll come up for the Facebook group. You'll see the link there. Of course, you can head over to RageWorks.net, and you can also see the link and the player there. And of course, Slick will also be sharing the link in the chat room this evening. So if you want to see Slick kick ass with Lego versions of Earth's Mightiest Heroes, definitely make sure to check out that stream after we wrap up the show for tonight. So with that said, I do want to open things up with a little housekeeping. A couple of things I wanted to get out there first. First and foremost, I'm sure you guys are tuning in and wondering where the video is for this week. Well, a couple of things. As many of you know, uh, before we wrapped up 2015, we were saying that we were moving to a new studio space. And we actually did that. We did move to a brand new studio space. And we got pretty much 90% of the way done. uh, But we've been having issues setting up a reliable internet connection. Uh, You know, we have a pretty strong internet connection and trying to set it up has been rather troublesome and probably one of the biggest reasons why it took us so long to get back on air. But we are running uh, internet right now, but the bandwidth and the speed that's being provided would not be adequate to do streaming video. Uh, The intent is to have that resolved by Monday, no later than Tuesday, and um, we'll be able to execute it for the next show. Now, if you guys joined me for last night's MMA and wrestling edition of MTR, you will know that um, we were not going to be doing episodes next week, uh, February 3rd and 4th, because of a podcasting conference that I was going to attend. I just found out today that the 
conference for Wednesday was now moved to March, uh, March 2nd. So we will be doing a show Wednesday evening, but I will not be doing a show on Thursday. So there will be an MMA and wrestling edition of MTR on Wednesday. And, um, you know, we'll be able to get at least one show in the books and hopefully we'll have video set up and you guys can check out the new studio. Uh, if you're following us on social media, on our Facebook fan page, or part of the RageWorks Facebook group, or on Twitter, or on Snapchat, you've probably seen a couple of teaser images that I've put up with regards to our brand new studio. Uh, this is a great working space now for us. It's going to allow us to do more with regards to product reviews and also give us just a lot of free space to do stuff on camera. Now, the only thing that I'm still trying to figure out is how we're going to do streaming. Uh, definitely kudos to Slick for holding it down with regards to streaming on the Rageworks page. And, you know, he's doing his best in that regard and he's streaming a lot of great games. And, you know, hopefully once the studio is completely operational, I'll be able to get back to streaming as well, especially because there are a couple of games that are on my radar that I would love to share with you guys. Plus, I know some people have been asking me about bringing back the the blast from the past uh, YouTube videos that we were doing on the My Take Radio Rageworks channel. Uh, a couple of things with regards to that, and we'll get into this week's show. Uh, first off, as many of you know, we are expanding our footprint with regards to social media. We are on Instagram, uh, Rageworks underscore Rich. We are on Twitter at Rage underscore Works. Facebook, Pinterest, Google Plus. Uh, all the usual outlets. Over the last couple of weeks, we've become a lot more aggressive on Snapchat. Uh, look for Rageworks on Snapchat if you would like to add us. Uh, trying to do some different content there. We're definitely going to be doing a lot more on Snapchat and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter uh, in the second week of February when we go to Toy Fair 2016. Uh, we got a full day of work uh, planned out. We're going to be meeting with a lot of great companies. We're going to be trying it. We're going to share a lot of great toys and we have some awesome equipment that's going to let us really, really step it up. Like I said, when we wrap things up in 2015, we're going to really go, uh, aggressive in 2016. We got so many things on deck and we're trying to give you guys as much content as possible. Uh, we are going to be bringing back a couple of things. I think that the minority film report is going to become, a regular occurring part of my take radio. But what's going to happen is it's going to be just a podcast that we're going to put out. Uh, I'll do, you know, maybe 30 minutes, 20 minutes uh, for movies, both new and, you know, already released. And we'll be able to do some stuff with that. I've been wanting to bring back the minority film report and I did not know how to do that without making it not be an extension of the regular gaming and entertainment edition of MTR. Uh, we are also working on rebranding our main feed. Uh, if you're subscribing to us via iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, you obviously are accessing all the shows via the main My Take Radio feed. Uh, what we plan on doing, what we plan on doing in the coming weeks, we're still trying to get uh, artwork and stuff finalized. We are going to rebrand that feed as the RageWorks Network feed, and that will allow you guys to listen to all our shows. Uh, MTR, Black is the New Black, the regular season sportscast, uh, The Buried Show, of course, and some other projects that we're working on will be going there, and we're going to slowly start rebranding 
down to the app and everything else. And once that's finalized, you'll just have the Rageworks Network on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and hopefully on Google Play as well. And that'll give you guys access to all the shows. Afterwards, we're going to start working on crafting individual feeds for each show and allowing you guys to access the shows that way. So if you want to subscribe primarily to Black is the New Black or if you want to subscribe to the regular season sportscast, you'll be able to find those individual shows on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. That's the plan so far, and we're really working towards it. I think that if everything rolls on, you know, goes according to plan, we should have everything finalized by February, and we're just going to start making a bigger push throughout the uh, second and th- the third, the second and third quarter of 2016. So, really excited to. Uh, start this new chapter. Like I said, the new studio space is going to let us do a lot of really cool stuff. I've been working on a lot of product reviews because we had a backlog due to the move to the new space. But now that we have that behind us, we're going to be able to start cranking out content on a consistent basis. So if, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Official Rageworks on YouTube. And we're also going to start moving certain videos from our My Take Radio uh, YouTube page to the Rageworks page just to have that stuff there and create a unified page. The Ra- the My Take Radio YouTube channel will remain only for My Take Radio shows. That's it. Everything else that was on there, I'm going to start migrating it over to the Rageworks page. That way we have everything set up there. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Now that we got a lot of that housekeeping out of the way, just a reminder, if this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where we cover mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. Sometimes we sprinkle a little tech in there as well. As I mentioned at the top top of the show, our call in number 347-324-3541. Again, that call in number 347-324-3541. And if you want to participate in the show and don't want to call in, you can always go to mtrlive.com and participate via the chat as well. All right. So on deck, of course, we got the gaming news of the week. Uh, We got a couple of entertainment news we want to discuss. And um, as I mentioned before, I know that we're, you know, we're going to try and stick to a strict 90 minute show. And yesterday, of course, it was our first MMA show back, MMA and wrestling show, and we kind of drifted towards the two-hour mark, but we're going to really try to keep things tight at 90 minutes, and because of that, I'm going to be a little bit more, um, a little more structured with regards to some of the new stories we pick, so what I'm actually going to do is I'm going to bring in Slick to assist on the gaming side, because I'm sure there's some stuff, since he's been working diligently on the gaming side of the site uh, while we were doing this move to the new space. There's a lot of stuff I know he's going to want to address. And there's also some news items that I want to discuss as well. Um, One thing I do want to say before I bring him on is that the EA Sports UFC beta uh, recently made its way into my inbox and I do want to discuss it and address it, but I'm trying to get clearance from EA before I do any streaming or share any pictures or any sort of commentary whatsoever, only because I know that they really are trying to uh, leave it as a beta, and because of that, you know, they're trying to avoid any negative commentary because it's exactly that, a beta. But we'll see what happens. Um, If I hear back from them, of course, I'll let you guys know. 
but I am going to work on something with regards to the brand new EA Sports UFC 2. So let me bring Slick in. It'll also allow us to test out the phone line because we didn't do any calls yesterday, so let's get to it. Slick, what's going on, dude? What's good, man? Nothing. Uh, Everything sounds good. You sound like a million bucks, so let's play that drop and get into the gaming for this week. All right, so as I mentioned before we started, um, EA has announced an open beta for UFC 2. There is beta access that is being available, being made available to the general public. I'm going to try and get the links for that and share it in the show notes. Uh, the game hits stores March 15th. Fans that pre-order the game will be able to access uh, the legendary Iron Mike Tyson who will be making his mixed martial arts debut on the virtual side. You'll have the choice of playing as the original Iron Mike and also as, um, you know, Iron Mike in his current incarnation with the uh, facial tattoo and everything. I thought it was really cool that they did that. Um, obviously, last year's game had Bruce Lee. It was one of the main reasons why I pre-ordered that game, just because, obviously, playing as as the man who embodied mixed martial arts to the fullest is something that was definitely worth investing in. Um, I was really impressed with the work that went into uh, the way Mike Tyson looks in the game. Really, really good sprites, really uh, super detailed. It really, it literally blew me away when I saw it. Cause I was like, wow, that's, that's awesome. And of course it, it created a lot of what if scenarios like, oh man, you know, what would happen if Mike Tyson would have traded boxing for MMA and, I think that they did a very, very good job with that. As I said, I was thoroughly impressed with what I saw, and he is but one of the many unlockable characters that you'll be able to play as. I'm hearing that Boss Rutan is another one. I believe that Bruce Lee will be brought back as well, and of course, a litany of other fighters, of course, both active and legendary. So, very pumped for that. EA Sports UFC 2 hits stores March 15th. Anything you wanted to add to that, or? No, I'm, I mean I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing Mike in action. I mean, I usually don't purchase the UFC games myself. Like I'll, I'll play right. it at your house, but, but I definitely want, want to see how Mike performs, and I want to see also if they make a difference in the earlier Mike Tyson versus you know today's Mike Tyson as far as performance. Right, that would only make sense. That I, I definitely agree with you there. I also did want to mention a news item that you shared on the page, which, um, of course, is something that you and I called pretty much right upon release, and that is the release of Mortal Kombat XL in March, which is, of course, going to be the complete edition of Mortal Kombat X with all the DLC um, available March 1st on PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. You're going to get Combat Pack 1, Combat Pack 2, and that's also going to include the playable characters Predator, Goro, Jason Voorhees, Tremor, Tanya, Triborg, Borai Cho, the Xenomorph from Alien, and Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So, um, not, not even shocked that this is happening. Um, of course, this is something that we knew was inevitable. As someone who purchased Mortal Kombat X with the season pass, I, like, you know, I knew it was coming, so it's not a big deal. It, what the thing that gets me is at this point, I might as well sell 
my copy just to get XL so that way the combat pack 2 is in there because obviously they're going to beat you over the head if you had the regular edition for that second combat pack. Yeah, I think it's probably going to be 30 bucks. So altogether, if you were an early adopter and you bought both combat packs, it costs you about $120. Right. If so, you got just the regular version versus getting XL for 60 Right, and that's what I mean. I, I bought the first one, and it came with, with Combat Pack 1. So at that point, I might as well just sell that one and get some of my money back and buy the XL version. Um, I'm not mad at this because, like I said, I knew it was coming, and I knew um, it was something that you and I spoke about quite a bit on air, and I said that if you could wait, do so, just because of that reason. Same thing with Batman. We know that the inevitable game of the year edition will come out for Arkham Knight as well. So sometimes sometimes it's better to wait, man. It's it's It sucks because obviously we want that instant gratification and we want to jump right into the mix with that, but... Sometimes you just gotta you gotta let it be and take that take that L and um wait for wait for the complete version to come out. What are your thoughts? Are you gonna give the uh the XL version a shot or are you gonna wait till they drop that and maybe maybe pick it up? I'm debating because from the more hardcore Mortal Kombat fans I haven't heard the greatest things about about MKX, like Everybody says that MK9 was much better in terms of the battle mechanics. And, I mean, I am interested just because of, you know, being a fan of certain things. Like, it's interesting to me that they chose Baraka as the model for the, the alien. Well, you know you know what it is? It's, um, when, when, I looked at, when I looked at that game originally... You know, the big get for me was obviously playing as Jason and also as playing as the Predator. You know that. That was pro- that was probably one of the biggest reasons. Um, the secondary pack, I was like, oh, shit. You know, they're going Xenomorph route and, um, you know, bringing in Leatherface, which I thought was cool. Um, I just, I'm at a stage with this game where I, I, I definitely agree that 9 was an overall better presentation but I think 10 really allowed them to harness the, you know, the new hardware and really deliver something fun. Uh, you know, the inclusion of Jason and Leatherface and all those characters is something that I've said before that they should just make a game where you can play as only those characters. You know, Jason, Leatherface, Predator, Alien, the, the um, you know, throwing like Pinhead from Hellraiser, Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger. Only because it's something that's been done for quite some time. And I think if you created a game like that and it was good, you can probably toss it on the competitive circuit. I mean, you can make it a one-off game and make it, you know, 30 or 40 bucks. Um, obviously, they'd probably want to lean towards the 60 because of licensing for all the characters. But I think it would be a great, it would be a great approach if they did that. Only because, you know, most of the these iconic horror characters have already been used. So why not just create a game with them? There's plenty of movies and plenty of characters that you can throw in there. Like I said, most of them have already appeared in Mortal Kombat, but you can toss in some other ones. You could throw Chucky in there and, you know, some other characters. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. It's just that I, I really, I really feel that Mortal Kombat XL being $60 is is kind of sticking it to the, the the customer. 
That's why I said I probably wouldn't get it at launch, even though I don't currently own Mortal Kombat X. Because aside from a couple of new characters, they're really not giving you anything new. Well, you know what it is? The the, the inevitable complete edition is is pretty much a, a guarantee with all with all fighting games because even Dead or Alive, which I have you know last round, which included a ton of characters that were excluded from other versions, we know that this is what's happening. I mean, um, you know, I'll take this as an opportunity to talk about a news item that I was going to mention. Uh, you know, they did that brand new update for Tekken Seven Faded Revolu- uh, Faded Retribution, which of course we already know that Akuma is being tossed in the game. But um, when they showed the game lineup for Evo 2016, they also showed the return of Nina Williams. Now, for people, obviously the game hasn't hit stores yet, and you know when it does, it's going to come out complete anyway. Just because Namco has never really struck me as a company that double and triple dips when it comes to Tekken. You just get the complete game, and that's it. Right, but I mean, going back to what you said, the you know the the hardcore champion of double and triple dipping Capcom. Yep. When they put out Ultra Street Fighter Four, they didn't charge you full price for it. They did not. But you know what it is, it, and and it's just like anything else. If you put the game out and it doesn't sell, they already got your money because you bought the first version and you bought the DLC anyway. You know what I mean? Like I'm sure that it will come out at sixty bucks. And I wouldn't be shocked if in, you know, 90 days, it would get a price drop anyway. Or at least, a, you know, a one-week sale or something. Right. That's just because, it's it's just because, the, you know, Warner Brothers is, is, is a company that they'll go, they'll put the game out. And you know that that's a game that come Black Friday this year will be half price anyway. You know what I mean? Like they're like they're putting it out just because they have to, but they already got everybody's money that purchased the game from the jump. You know, they were when we did the MPD numbers for that particular period. You know that that was one of those things where it was it was already you know the money was already guaranteed. Hell, it was at the top of the MPD charts for quite some time. Right, but it's like it's not just because we all know that. Warner Brothers is one of those companies that if they could dig in your pockets, they're going to dig in your pockets and they're going to use a shovel to do it. But it, it's also the developers, too. It's like when when they made Mortal Kombat XL, NetherRealms could have put more into it. They could have, I don't know, added another game mode, something to try to justify that full price tag. Because when I was writing the, the article for XL, I was like, I can't bash this too hard because another game that's coming out from Warner Brothers, I've been hyping so hard, which is Dying Light. But then I was like, wait a minute. Yeah, it's coming out from Warner Brothers, but Techland is completely overhauling the original game and giving you damn near another game. Right. So it kind of makes sense for that to cost $60 if you buy the, the disc from the store. But if you have the original game, it really only costs you at most thirty. And, and that's something and that's, that's the thing. It's like if you have Mortal Kombat X, getting everything to XL shouldn't cost you sixty dollars. I, I agree a hundred percent. And that's where 
you know, like I said, I knew that it was, it was, I knew it was inevitable. So like I said in previous shows, I accepted the fact that I was going to be on the hook, but I also feel that when you're in this situation with some of this stuff, this is one of those instances where, you know, I let, I let my, my, my inner fanboy dictate my wallet. But as I mentioned, you know, I, I stressed it how many times that I said, I'm like, just wait for the complete version. No, but I mean, like you said, the inner fanboy, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, exactly. But you know what it is? They're pre- they prey on that in the sense that they'll make the game 60 bucks and people will be like, yo, man, fuck that. But the people that waited, they'll scoop it up because, hey, they'll be like, ha, we didn't have to spend all that money on the DLC. You see what I mean? Like, they're going to get the money one way or the other. It's just a matter of whether they get it all at once or they get it broken up between, uh, you know, an early version in DLC or a complete version with everything. I think what really kind of bummed me out about XL is, again, going back to what I've heard from the community playing the, the game from when it originally came out, is it doesn't sound like they did any kind of balancing of the, the, the characters for the online because a lot of people complain that, and this happens with every fighting game, Yep. somebody found, you know, whatever character that they exploit the hell out of to, you know, just pin somebody in a corner and beat them senseless, and there's like, there's no, there's literally no way out. I'll be honest, I'll be honest when I tell you, not to cut you, not to cut you off, I'll be honest when I tell you that, you know, there's always going to be overpowered characters, and eventually they do balance them, but I think Mortal Kombat, even though it does get tournament play, it's not on the same level as Street Fighter, you know? Like, I believe that Mortal Kombat's uh, tournament presence is is there, but it's in a more relaxed environment. It's not like Smash or Street Fighter, which are you know two titles that see a lot of of gameplay. I mean, they do an event here in the city, Mash Fest, which I think one day you should you should definitely take a trip to it because it's a, it's a fun place. And um, you know they 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 usually have like a really hardcore Street Fighter presence. You know it'll be you know Third Strike and uh, Street Fighter 4 and soon Street Fighter 5 and then in the corners you have the crowds of people playing Killer Instinct um, Mortal Kombat etc etc like there's 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 a community for competitive play in those games but Street Fighter and even Marvel vs. Capcom remain like top of the food chain you know well yeah I mean Street Fighter's basically been the ruler of the roost since Street Fighter 2 came out. Exactly. And 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 it just and that's the thing. That's why I kind of feel like with Mortal Kombat they they do stuff for tournament play, but they really don't trip out about it because like I said, it's one of those things where it's like, eh, you know, like, yeah, maybe this guy's a little too powerful, but you know, who's who's really out there playing Mortal Kombat tournaments for a hundred grand, you know, like versus, you know, Street Fighter where Evo is essentially that. I mean, don't get me wrong, they do Mortal Kombat in every other fighting game under the sun, but Street Fighter's the driving force, you know? But if you're if you're the people at Netherrealm Netherrealm, excuse me, maybe you ask yourself, maybe they're not playing it like that because we're not balancing it right. I agree. I agree with you. I think I think that if that were the case it would make it a more appealing title. 
I mean, that's one thing that when Killer Instinct, uh, when it went into, you know, season two, and I say that with air quotes, and, uh, you know, a new developer took over, they balanced a lot of characters. They were characters that people were abusing the shit out of um, in, in, in the early goings of the game. And they and they did do active balancing. I mean, even now, the, the, the newer characters that were introduced, like Kanra and... Um, uh, even there, there's another guy in there who's, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of, I almost feel like he's a boss, but he's not. And, um, you know, I think, I think that he's, um, you know, he's one of those characters that he, he appears to be a very off balance character, but you know, he, I feel that there's definitely a trade off cause you probably, I think he, I have a nagging suspicion. He takes more damage. You know what I mean? Like they did with with Akuma in some in Street Fighter Four, you know Street Fighter Four when Akuma was when you were he was there he was very strong, but he also took a lot of damage faster. That was the trade off. Makes sense. I'll take that. You know, at least if there's a balance where the character's more powerful, but he's susceptible to more damage, it forces you to play more strategically, which is something that at least at that point it changes the scope of the game from, oh, you know, I'm just going to mash on buttons and hope for the best to be like, oh, shit, this guy can take damage just as, just as if, you know, just as excessively as he can dish it out. So, I mean, that's one of the things with, like, people that play Akuma competitively in, in you know, the earlier versions of Street Fighter 4. It's like, yeah, you pick Akuma, you're getting all these, po- you know, a very powerful fighter, but you're also getting a guy that if he gets caught up by a veteran player, he's going to be taken out relatively quick. Yeah, you gotta either like you said, strategically, or beat the crap out of someone before they can get you. That's it, man. I mean, you know, I, I definitely agree with you that Nether Realm should should have definitely tried to at least give people more of an incentive on XL. But like I said, they 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 they're comfortable in their perch. You know, they're like, hey, you know, people are gonna buy it or they're not. We already got their money anyway. And that's the see that's the attitude that I hate when when companies have that. Yep. You can tell which companies have that attitude, which ones are like, well, we're, we're really listening to you guys. I agree a hundred percent. I mean, here's here's a good, another example. You know, there there was a DLC announcement from for WWE 2K16, which of course uh, 2K announced today that they're gonna. Well, yesterday. Well, no, it's not midnight. So today that they're going to be doing WWE games for the foreseeable future, obviously because they're cash cows. But here's the thing. They're putting out a new DLC pack, which is the Futures pack, which includes Samoa Joe, Blake and Murphy, and Los Matadors. Think about that. The Matadors in the Futures pack. Uh, yeah, no. And that's what I mean. Like, like you buy the game, then you got to buy the, the packs, and it's like, all right, like if I had if I had to buy that DLC, it's like all right, I'll get it for Samoa Joe because it's awesome that he's in the game. You know, I don't give a shit about Blake and Murphy or or the Matadors, but it's like, why not just put that out? Like I have to commend Capcom for doing what they're doing with Street Fighter Five, where you can either play the game and unlock the characters the hard way, or you can just you know get all the characters at once. Like you know, some people are gonna cut corners and some aren't. But at least it gives you that opportunity. Like, I don't feel that I want to pay for that DLC to only get Samoa Joe, you know? And also, you know, 
maybe I got to train that much harder so I can win some matches so I can unlock Jury and not have to pay for him. Exactly. And that's what I mean, but at least they're they're giving you the out. You know what I'm saying? Like it's like, yo, you can pay, but you can you can also get better and unlock the characters the hard way. I got to give Capcom credit, man. I think with Street Fighter 5 pretty much on the verge of release in a couple of weeks, you know, there's one final beta that's going to be going down uh Saturday uh through July 31st. I don't know which version of that beta it is. I wouldn't know because I think I've only been able to get into the beta, I don't know, one time. But um, uh, the the fact is that they actually took a better approach this time in the sense that, hey, you know, we're going to release characters and we're going to put characters out and you don't necessarily have to pay for them. I think it's a nice way to kind of soften the blow a bit. Capcom is just weird, though, because... Who are you telling? All the crap that's gone down with the... the people complaining about Street Fighter Five before it's even out. I, I just had to mention, because I, something I saw it on YouTube today, it's like the whole complaining about Armika smacking her ass, but nobody's saying shit about Laura's new outfit. You know what it is, and... and... If you've seen a girl, any, you know, any girl on a beach in Brazil, yeah, that's pretty much what Laura's wearing. Here's, here's the thing. We we as a community, as a demographic, as a uh, as a as a niche community, we we focus on the stuff that is. I mean, it's an issue, but it's a not. It's also a non-issue. Like I remember when they showed the some of the DLC skins, and one of them was you know uh, bearded Ryu, and everybody was like, oh, you know, blah blah blah, and it was funny because bearded Ryu was acknowledged as being hot. You know what I mean? But if you did the same thing about, a, you know, Cammy's costume or Chun-Li's outfit, it would be considered, you know, in poor taste. And, these are, and, and the fact that shit like that becomes a dialogue boggles my mind, you know? Like, who gives a shit? We, we, are, we are addressing the fashion sense of characters in a video game. <laughs> Even even the Armika ass slap, you know, it's like it. Yeah, it comes off as you know cheeky and childish, but it's a fucking video game, and the demographic that's playing it knows what the deal is. There's worse shit out there. Like, you know, people have access to worse stuff online than a, a, a video game character smacking their own ass. We live in an era where I can punch up a a, a video on social media or on YouTube. Of somebody getting their head chopped off. You know what I mean? But 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 that's what I'm saying. Like people get bent out of shape, like like the you know, the dead or alive game that came out in Japan that they're not putting out over here because whatever, scantily clad girls or whatever. It's like you do realize that one of the reasons Dead or Alive is where it is in terms of you know, the community and, and, and the acceptance is because of the scantily clad girls. Like, 
people, you know, I mean, get it off. It is a great video game and fighting game series, but yep. it kind of blew up after Dead or Alive 3 and Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball came out. There you go. I mean, Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball, Beach, uh, excuse me, <laughs> Dead or Alive Beach Volleyball was exactly what you would think. Everybody's like, really, you're putting out a volleyball game? It wasn't for the sake of it being a volleyball game. Wake the fuck up, people. But that's what I mean. And this is the type of stuff that becomes bigger than it really needs to be. Because as a gamer, I just want to play the game. Yeah, maybe the character's a little risque. Maybe the character's, you know, dressed a little provocatively. But we have a rating system in place. Simple as that. And if and if, and if people are, or are really distracted by, you know, uh, some cleavage sticking out in the game, then your priorities are fucking seriously out of whack. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, you know, the ass smack, it was funny. You know, it's it's kind of one of those, you know, Japanimation anime type of gags that you see in plenty of cartoons, from Dragon Ball Z to Pokemon, anything else. You know that. Their approach to, you know, body humor and things like that is very, you know... Not cutesy, but just, you know, wink at the camera type shit, you know? I guess you. I just, I, I, you yeah, know, right. it's, it's yeah, a non-issue. Right. I mean, I didn't see what the problem was. Because like you said, the, the game has a certain rating. Yep. And that's the thing. There is a rating system in place for a reason. If people choose to ignore it, it's it's like I've said about countless other things and numerous shows you know people sometimes just look for shit to get offended about it is a video game it has a rating you have full control of your wallet and your personality that you can opt to not play it if it bothers you so much That's, that's, you know, that's, that's where I stand with regards to that. Everybody just sits there and they're like, yeah, but you know, they shouldn't have taken it out. They should have taken it. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? Whether it was in the game or not in the game, it is, it is, you know, 0.5 seconds of, of something that after you play the game for a week or so, you're not even going to notice. You're not going to care. You get what I'm saying? Think about it. You, you play a fighting game that first three or four days, you're like, wow, this is awesome, and that's awesome, and this other thing is awesome, and this is amazing. But by the time you get by your third week, you're like, X, skip. <laughs> Am I wrong? It's, I mean, it really, it, you're not wrong, but it depends, because I know, know there are people out there that if, if we pop in a copy of Super Street Fighter 2, they still want to see Cammy turn around when she wins at the end. Of course, but it's one of those things that it, at that point it's just it's just something that you know not not that it that it is or it isn't, but it's something that's just you know juvenile for laughs. You know what I mean? Like, haha, she said, but you know, like that's what that is because that's our nature. It's funny. There is a little bit of Beavis and Butthead in all of us. Exactly, and that's what I mean. Like. We're always going to laugh about that. And and the fact that people, there were, there were actual th- thought pieces put together, you know, thought-provoking posts about, you know, how, how Ryu doesn't get, uh, you know, how Ryu gets sexualized because he has a beard, but, you know, and that's okay 
but that when Cammy or Chung Lee or any of these other characters get sexualized, it's it's you know it's taboo. It's like people don't understand. We live in an era of and 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 you know this. I've said this numerous times where body shaming exists for both sexes. It's just something that nobody thinks about when it comes to to men. But it's just, it's the same shit, you know. It is the same shit, sir. Yes, sir. All right. So, not to not to beat that up, but a couple of things. Um, Xbox Live Gold members and PlayStation Plus members have a lot of really solid titles to look forward to for the month of February. If you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, you're getting Nom Nom Galaxy for the PlayStation Four. Helldivers Democracy Strikes Back, which will be available on the PS4, PS3, and PS Vita. Grid Autosport, which will be on PlayStation 3. Persona 4 Arena Ultimax on PS3. I'm actually pretty pumped for that. Uh, Lemmings Touch on PS Vita. And Nova 111 for PS Vita. If you're an Xbox Live Gold member, you're going to get RPG Hands of Fate. Sticks Master of Shadows will be free on Xbox One from February 16th to March 15th. Our very own Slick took that game for a spin. You can check out the review on RageWorks.net. Uh, Sacred Citadel is coming to Xbox 360 from February 1st through the 15th. And then Gears of War 2 will be hitting Xbox 360 from February 16th through the 29th. Anything you wanted to add or anything on your radar? Well, there's plenty of stuff on my radar. I mean, and we're coming into February, so of course there's Street Fighter. I uh, I wanted to ask you, especially since you were a fan of the um, the Transformers game. I didn't I didn't do an article on this because honestly, because we didn't get any assets for it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Here's here's the thing. I got them, but they of course ended up in the spam folder. But I did get them. And I and I'm sure that this is in reference to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, here's the thing: the Transformers game, aside from you know hardcore fan stuff that you and I have discussed both on air and off air, I felt that it was an incredibly fun looking game, a fun looking beat 'em up that you know will keep you busy for a little bit. Uh, it it really reminded me of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game where, you know, you pop in the four quarters and just get to work. Um, similar, you know, and of course, you know, that got reskinned a dozen times. They did that, that Spider-Man arcade game where you had the giant Venom that would pop out, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the Simpsons game that was the same way or the Avengers arcade game that was the same way. It 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 looked it looked fun. I I mean I think that the style that they use for Transformers actually works for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It looked good. Um, you know all the iconic characters were there, and it it seemed like a game that you can get into, play it for the sake of nostalgia, and then like Transformers, you know, you keep either keep playing it or you move on from it. It it, it looked fun, you know, and that's at the end of the day, that's what matters most. Like Transformers, we. Oh we, yeah, I mean, I, I like I said, I, I'm I don't try to take anything away from Transformers Devastation. I just for what it was, it wasn't worth fifty bucks. I'm not trying to call it a bad game. It just it wasn't a fifty dollar game. Oh yeah, oh no, I don't I don't disagree that it wasn't a fifty dollar game. 
but the thing is from a, a, a pure a pure nostalgia and in and, and enjoyability standpoint it definitely meets my needs you know at least for me and i know a lot of people a lot of people they felt that the game was too short or certain things got really repetitive and 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 you know you people have read my review and and you've seen my gameplay for the game there are certain things that yeah they jump out like yeah some of the levels were a little sparse you know that i mean they were a little uh too open without as many bad guys for you to attack obviously by upping the difficulty level that does change but at first glance you're going to be like wow these streets are pretty fucking empty you know and that's and that's one of those things that it jumps out but it didn't it didn't detract from my enjoyment of the game like i said it was it was cool being able to use you know grimlock and fighting you know soundwave and shit like that like like stuff like that is just awesome for the sake of it being awesome you know I just, uh, my thing is, everybody, you know, so- social media was, everybody was losing losing their minds over the trailer, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm a, definitely a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles fan, and I love the fact that they had Rocksteady and Bebop in there, especially. I'm like, it's going to be a wait and see for me, because I was like, please remember, these are the same people that put out Transformers Devastation. Right, and but again, I'm not saying that to down them because again, those are the same people that also made Bayonetta and made games like the Wonderful One on One, which are fantastic games. But their last effort was a bit lazy. Well, see, so I'll, I'll wait till the game actually comes out, and depending upon how much content is in it, that's when I'll decide. You know how I really feel about it. I think it does look good though. I think lazy is, is is a strong word, but you're entitled to that. I feel that Transformers Devastation was an experiment in the sense that we're going to jump, we're going to take something super iconic, make it as close to the source material as we can in terms of look and presentation, and then we're just going to put it out there. Should it have been, you know, 50, 60 bucks? No. But they knew that they were going to get people's attention just because of how good it looked and how well it played. Because the game played very well. And, you know, like I said, it was too short. It had its it had its its issues, but they knew what they were doing. I'm sure, and, and it's already been discussed, depending on how, if you've played the game and you've seen the ending, that a sequel is definitely going to happen. And I'm sure that a lot of the stuff that people felt was were were issues in the game will be addressed in, in, in other, you know, in future installments. I mean, Bayonetta was a fun game. And it had its issues, but it was still a fun game, you know? And when the second one came out, they improved on a lot of things, and some of it made the gameplay, the game overall, a better experience. And other times, it just, you know, it was like, yeah, all right, you know, I'll take it. My thing, when I say a lazy effort, it's, it's just that, one, they could have either put more playable Autobots in the game, or they could have made a second campaign yep. where you could have played as Decepticons. Right, which is yeah, what they did. These, they had drones in there, which is nameless, of course, but they had all these named Decepticons in there that transformed, had special attacks, and everything. And for all that beautiful you know, animation, they, they were essentially worthless because you can't play as them. Right, and and in that respect, I agree. I think that 
being able to play as more Autobot characters was was definitely something I would have liked. But I, I also feel that as you went through the game, the characters that you had and you could, you know, you weren't you weren't obligated to play as that specific character. But, you know, it just felt better. Like, don't get me wrong. In, in stages where I knew I was going to fight like Megatron or any of the any of the really, really iconic characters, you know, you're going to end up playing as Optimus Prime. It just, you just have to do it. And I played a lot of the game as Optimus and Grimlock, obviously. And, you know, occasionally I'd be like, hey, let me play a little bit as Bumblebee and, and you know, some of the other characters, Wheeljack, just because you want to you want to do that. You know, you want to play as those characters just to to try and get a complete experience. That was me. But sometimes you just fall in, in into the, the routine like, yo. If I'm going to fight Megatron, I want to fight Megatron with Optimus Prime. I mean, there was a stage where you saw I used Bumblebee in that fight and that was a a multi a multi um a multi-character event. So, yeah, you know, the the computers are con- controlling Optimus Prime and I was using Bumblebee and whatever the case may be, but I think in that respect, you could have put 10 characters in there, but we all have our favorites. You know, like the like the characters that were there were fine, but I, I just needed to play as Grimlock and Optimus Prime. Now, in regards to a uh, Decepticon campaign, I agree only because the other Transformer games that came out let you play as both. I mean, you could have had, especially since they went, they, they stuck as closely as they could to the original 80s right. cartoon. I mean, they could have had just by himself a stealth stage will ravage. How awesome would that be? Yeah, that would have been, that would have been great. And I think that that's one of those things where, you know, I, I had originally intended on getting the developers on to discuss that stuff. And obviously between the holidays and move and moving to the, to the new space, you know, we weren't able to set that up, but that was something that I agree with, you know, playing as, as ravage or, you know, doing a, doing a, a, a mission with, with Starscream and, and those guys, you know, trying to bomb a city, or whatever the, excuse me, whatever the case may be, you you kind of had, um, you know, there there were a lot of things that could have been executed. On. I'm curious to see what they do with the sequel. I mean, with the with the Turtles game, it's the same thing. You're either gonna play as all four, or you're gonna play as your favorite turtle. Like that's just how it is. Like for me, it was either always Michelangelo or Raphael for different reasons. So yeah, I'll play as all of them when when needed. But I'm gonna always end up playing as my favorite ones to begin with, you know. I hear you. All right, so a couple of other a couple of things I wanted to throw out there um, before we shift gears. Uh, first off, I did want to talk about the MPD numbers for December. I'll get into that in a moment. But um, something very interesting is going down at E3. Um, it seems that. EA is actually going to hold their own event and is going to pull back their E3 presence. Uh, They're introducing a new event called EA Play, which is going to be open to the public and it's going to be in Los Angeles and London. This is going to be the new home for their annual press conference and will be taking place just a few days before E3. Uh, We all know that Nintendo did something similar and have been doing very well with it, which is Nintendo Direct. Uh, I think that the E3 hype train, you know, as much as I like E3 and I feel that these events are great for the industry as a whole, I do feel that a lot of stuff gets lost in the shuffle because you're kind of 
you're kind of pigeonholed into a certain window and a certain way to present things. And in regards to what EA is trying to do, they're trying to leverage what matters most. And that's not just journalists, but the, the public by and large. These are the guys that are going to put the money in your pocket. So why not give them access to the games? Now, I'm not saying that E3 should be open to the general public. I mean, if it's a trade show industry event, that's fine. But I also feel that there should be something more consumer facing that exists because I think it would work out well. I think if they did something on par with, you know, San Diego or New York Comic Con strictly for gaming, that they would have an incredible turnout only because it would give it would give the 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 general public access to these games and it would really allow you to kind of book on the fly so to speak where hey we're going to put these games out for people to play we'll see if people are digging them or not digging them and based on that we'll react accordingly i mean you know for as much as ea has done at previous e3s i think they've reached a stage where they have enough titles in their library that they could put together their own event what do you think I think, I mean, it could go either way. E3 is, in my eyes, very important to gamers. And if all these developers keep pulling away to do their own events, E3 is going to wind up, you know, withering away and dying. I mean, right now that's not an issue because it's only, you know, you're saying Nintendo and EA, but, you know, other companies may follow suit and, if anything, it may wind up being that only the indie developers are at E3 and all the big boys are doing their own separate events. I think that it's better to to keep it at E3 simply because it's easier to follow that way. Because if you have Nintendo doing an event on ABC Days and then EA doing an event DEF, then you have, I don't know, Ubisoft doing it on the next few days. It's like, that's a lot of, you know, broken up time, and it's hard to follow all of that. Well, you know what the thing is? It's it's one of those things where, I, you know, indie game developers may actually feel more comfortable that they don't have to compete against the juggernauts like Nintendo and EA in a, in a space like E3. It, it's one of those things where it can go either way. I think that... You know, when when these big companies bring bring their their dog and pony show to to E3, it you know the the smaller developers get lost in the shuffle because you know maybe they're unleashing three or four major IPs and journalists are salivating to to get a an exclusive or hands on time and because of that you know you have the guys that have the really solid titles that they gotta you know rely on other things. I I mean it's it it can go either way. I think that. It should be a question of the companies themselves. And when I mean the companies, I mean Nintendo, Microsoft, Sony uh, doing, uh, having big presence, a big presence at these events, but that the publishers that are underneath each of them, you know, obviously releasing their titles should have the opportunity to do something that's that's forward facing for the crowd. I think that, you know, giving the crowd opportunity to, to, to get hands on with this stuff will really help do a little bit of, you know, just research because think about it. How much stuff do we see at E3 that isn't fucking complete anyway? You know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's another thing. Sometimes I think that, you know, 
certain things you shouldn't even show. I understand you have to have a presence. Right. You got to be there. You, you got to be there to get people interested. But I'm really, really, it, and I say this over and over, as our, you know, gaming technology gets better and better and for the consoles more so than for the PC because that's always going to be at the top as far as visuals. Right. But in 2015, because, you know, we're not in E3 2016 yet, but in 2015, a company like Ubisoft or Microsoft or or EA or even Nintendo should not be showing us a freaking a trailer that's, you know, just a bunch of cutscenes strung together and not showing any gameplay for a game. If your game's not ready, say, you know, it's in development. Right. Well, that's the that's the thing, and Guess I think what? a trailer like that doesn't make me want to play the game. Right, and that's where I'm saying that sometimes crowd facing events, you know, open to the general public, have they have a place, you know? Like when when I got to to visit with EA not that long ago, I got to play a game Unravel, which I think I mentioned to you, and um, right. wasn't a game that was on my radar. Wasn't even a game that I remotely had any idea would be worth playing but when i got to sit down and play the game i was i was i was you know i was sucked in i was like wow this is this is a fun game this is an awesome concept and if i wouldn't have been able to get that that intimate hands-on time with the game it might it might have just passed me by you know i have something to say with regard to that but i want to make sure you finish your thought no go ahead you know what? You know what companies can easily do to to get that that feeling that you have across betas, <laughs> demos. Yep, demos. Stop fucking making demos. Oh, if you pre-order this game now, you'll get free access to the demo for <laughs> five for five whole minutes. Yeah. No. Come I on. agree. If this game came out, <laughs> excuse me. Street Fighter comes out February 16th, and I'm just using that date as an example because they have done, you know, betas and stuff. Right. If your game comes out February 16th, February 9th or February 2nd, put out a fucking demo. I agree. Put out a demo on whatever platform or platforms the game is coming out on. People get to play it, and guess what? People either... Say your game sucks, fuck it, I'm not buying it. Well, they got really excited. I, I can't wait till this game comes out. Right. I can agree with that. I mean, sometimes that's that's all you need. But the, the thing is that, remember when we were younger, we'd be like, hey man, I'd love to be a game tester and get, played to, get paid to play games. You notice that that role has pretty much fallen by the wayside because you're essentially... You have free help from people playing these betas. How funny is that? Remember when we were younger, it was like, yo, man, a game tester. What an awesome job. You know, checking for bugs and all this stuff. Now it's like you pre-order the game that you're going to buy anyway, and you guys will be the ones telling us about quality control. Isn't that some crazy shit? No, what's some crazy shit is that these companies have access to all of that. Yep. And still put out half-ass efforts. I'm not saying everybody. Right. 
No, I can agree with that. I mean, we you, you get these games that broken. Okay, let's take a big name. Let's take a big name that just came out today, and I hope it's not the case for the version that came out today. But Tomb Raider, Rise of the Tomb Raider on the on the Xbox platforms, it looks great. Right. And guess what? It fucking fell apart for a lot of people. Yeah. They had they, uh, you know, you can Google it and you'll see a lot of videos. Game, you know, game breaking bugs. Yep. Well, I, I mean, to go one step further, if you remember, not Assassin's Creed Syndicate, but the one before that, d- dude, that game was completely broken. And I think that was, I think that was one of the reasons why they're they're changing the release schedule of Assassin's Creed to not being a constant annual title because the shit's coming out. They're cranking them out. They're coming out broken, and people are pissed off. And then you're on the hook, and then they got to say, "Hey, we're gonna give you all the DLC for free because uh, we fucked up." Yeah, you did. It's because all they want to focus on is making the game look flashy. It's like. Flashy is great, but it's not as important as having a good story and having a game that works. I agree 110%. It's like, I got to say that the PR people have been really good to us lately, and that's part of why, you know, I get to stream so much for you guys. But when when I do these articles and stuff, I see these games, and some games look absolutely beautiful. Some games look like they came out on the Commodore 64. Yep. And guess what? A lot of those games that look like they came out on the Commodore 64, I'm going to name one. I, I put out the article yesterday. It's called I think, Zombie Night Terror. Yep. It's, it's pixels, but it looks like it's going to be one of the greatest games of the year just because it looks like a lot of fun. And sometimes that's all that matters, man. Fun. It's like, yes, it is called Zombie Night Terror. Basically, instead of surviving the zombie apocalypse, you are the zombie apocalypse, and you got to basically kill everybody. Yep, well, but, that, it, but that's what I'm saying. It's a puzzle game, and it's a puzzle game, and everybody's in different rooms, and you got to make sure you get the zombies in there to kill everybody, and it just looks fantastic. If you haven't seen the trailer, check it out on, on Rageworks. That's that's but that's what I mean though you know it, it's it we we're we're living in an era where you know ten fifteen years ago nobody would have thought that you people would actually genuinely sit down to watch other people play games and look at look at the success of Twitch it's it's actually being integrated it's been integrated into consoles for that reason and you know I I sometimes feel that as much as I'd like to see demos and betas and all that stuff. Sometimes if I want to see what type, what a game looks like and if I'll like it, I'll just go to Twitch and see if someone's playing it. Because at that point, at least I'm getting a genuine reaction. You know? I hear what you're saying, but at the same time, the reason why I still want demos and betas is because... You want to form your own opinion. It's that, yes. But there are some games that I... That that kid in me wants to be the first kid on the block with the game. <laughs> right, I understand that. I don't want to wait a week till somebody has been able to sit down and play it and show me a stream 
or I can, you know, a friend of mine has it on PlayStation and I can, you know, click in with them and, and, and watch them play. No, I might want to be the first kid on the block with it. Yep. I understand totally. Well, but I mean, it it it, it is what it is. I mean, the, the 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 game community, the game, you know, the the interaction between developers and not just like us who are trying to get the info out on the street, but the interaction between them and and just the the general public. It's it's still evolving, and hopefully someday. It'll be in a better place because there there are a lot of companies. I, I I don't have time to name them, but there are a lot of companies out there that really, really. It's not just to get your money; they really, really give a shit about what you think. Yep. And want to make sure that their game reflects what you think it should be. I agree. And those companies give you some really great games. Hundred percent. Companies that you need to absolutely support, and then there are companies that. Yeah, they, they kind of care, but they care more about getting a dollar. Right. And those those companies, I'm not saying don't support them because they still do put out some good games, but eh, maybe we wait till there's a price drop on those games. There you go. Well, I want to I wanna just move forward a little bit and go into the, uh, the MPD numbers for December 2015. Uh, to, you know, of course, uh, a lot of stuff came out everybody was sprinting to the finish to get their games out the door. Um, overall, uh, new video games in the U.S. made $3.2 billion last month. Um, obviously, it's, it, it's, a, it's, a bit, it's a big industry, man, but it's still lower. It's 1% lower than the $3.2 uh, billion from 2014. Uh, you know, it was 3.26 versus 3.22. Uh, hardware and software sales were down, um, mostly because I think people were just not uh, transitioning at the level that they wanted from 360 and PlayStation 3. Um, accessories, though, which, of course, this includes Amiibos and all of that stuff. Of course, that grew by 10%, because think about it. Everybody was buying fucking Amiibos. It almost felt like every other every other show, we were talking about one that was being released exclusively at a store. Yep. And um, it's funny because th- there was a 6% decrease in hardware sales versus uh, hardware sales for 2014. And obviously, that's obviously because of the drop in Xbox 360, PS3, and, and Wii hardware. Um, you know, and portable hardware took a hit too. And I think that part of the reason was because there's so many different variations of the stuff out there that whether you buy it at the beginning of the holiday season, the middle, or the end, it's it's not like it's it's in uh it's hard to find stuff, you know? Like remember when the Wii U first came out, it was, you know, kind of difficult to find a system and then over the next couple of weeks it it became easier. Now, now we don't even have that. Like there's not people running around saying that they can't find a system unless they can't find a particular bundle. Right. There was a 4% increase in spending on the PS4, Xbox 1 and Wii U. Obviously, because the each each company is putting out uh, is is either putting out really good third party games or really good first party games. So that's one of those things that is to be expected. Uh, with regards to software, 
you know, the top 10 games for the month of December. I'm going to go uh, in reverse order. At number 10 was FIFA 16. And number 9 was Minecraft Story Mode. Of course, our very own Slick has played that. Look for that review on RageWorks.net. Uh, regular Minecraft was number 8. Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege was number 7. GTA 5 still in there at number 6. NBA 2K16 was number 5. Madden was number 4 still. Uh, Fallout 4 came in at the number 3 slot. Star Wars Battlefront was number 2. What do you think the number 1 selling game for the month of December was? I... I... <laughs> you already said Fallout 4. Yep. And Star Wars Battlefront, I said, so. No idea, huh? I give up. I uh, give up. The number one the number one selling game was Call of Duty Black Ops 3, which once again I still know. Yep. Which once again Call of Duty dominated the month of December. It has a seven-year streak of dominating MPD charts, with only GTA Five, the uh, GTA Five, the original from 2013, ever matching it, which is crazy. And this is this is this is part <laughs> of why you know we have that issue with the companies that just want to get your dollar because. They get your dollar. Exactly. The other thing I want to mention... Keep on shoveling out another Call of Duty. You just keep on eating it up. Yep. Well, the other thing I wanted to mention was you you and I, we spoke about Star Wars Battlefront right before we wrapped up uh, the shows for 2015. And we were talking about, you know, it's essentially a multiplayer game with no single player component. And it really sold a lot of units to come in at the number two slot. But the other thing is that they leveraged the fact that Force Awakens came out, you know, right around the same time. So it's it's it was almost like, you know, one hand washes the other and both wash the face. I'm kind of upset that Just Cause 3 wasn't even in the top 10. Yeah, and but you know what it was? You and I, the, going, going back to, to past episodes, we said that this was a game that was a niche game, you know? Like, you loved it. And it was a niche game, but you had to tell people like I, I, I remember you on social media like, yo, you guys got to play this or you guys got to check this out or you guys got to give it a rental or or whatever. It's a fun game. I really enjoyed it. You know what I mean? Like like you did that, but that can only take us. But so far, you know. Absolutely. But it's like every time. Well, it's, it's partially because, you know, everybody's Twitter is different, you know, based upon who you follow. It was like every time I go to Twitter, I see a freaking Just Cause video. Yep. And they're not all from, they're not all from the Just Cause people. Right. I mean, you know, on uh, it's funny because when when talking about hardware, obviously the PlayStation Four outsold Xbox One and the Wii U in December, which was a given. Um, it made it the best-selling system of the year by a very big margin. But it's also because PlayStation had a very, very aggressive catalog going into the holiday season. There were at least four or five titles that were on everyone's wish list on PlayStation 4. You know, they dropped that Nathan Drake collection. They, you know, you know, they dropped a lot of little things here and there. I mean, Xbox did too, but the problem was that Xbox was dropping stuff that, I mean, it was going to move units, 
but it wasn't enough to really showcase the, you know, the, the power of that system. Like we've talked about, you know, the Drake games are without a doubt, some of the best games to showcase your system, you know? Yeah, and then the fact is that a lot of the Xbox games are on PlayStation, and you said it yourself with the Force Awakening. Sony also had that, that Darth Vader bundle for PS4, that Darth Vader PS4. Yep, that that's pushing units, dude. I and knew then, guys, I knew guys that sold PS4s that they had just bought to buy that bundle. Like legitimately, I considered it, but I was like, nah. It, it, like you know what I almost did, and this was only because I didn't know my wife had bought me the Elite controller. I was gonna trade in my Xbox One to get the Elite system to get the controller. You know, like I was gonna do that, but I was like, eh, it's not that serious. But but this is what I'm saying, like like the the level of of competition, and this this is you know again going going back to to previous MTR shows. What what is one thing that you and I have said every time? It's not going to be a question of who's the better system. It's going to be a question of who has the better games that the other system doesn't have. Because at the end of the day, both systems are powerful. Both games, you know, both systems, you know, if you play Madden, Madden on Xbox One and Madden on PS4, there might be some slight visual differences. But at the end of the day, you're still playing Madden on either system, you know? And it's like I said, I want to want an Xbox One, but they just for me personally are no games on it that right. I want. You know that that'll make me run out and buy the console. Meanwhile, every time I turn around, Sony has some kind of a game that is exclusive to the PS4 or even the PS3. Still, <clears throat> this is another thing Microsoft is not pushing the. 360 anymore and um well i think that the more games to play from sony well i think the necessity to push the 360 is becoming less and less of an issue because of the increase in backwards compatibility i mean the catalog continues to grow month over month and i'm sure we'll reach a point where i'd like to say at least 70 percent of the games are backwards compatible in some capacity I'd, i'd like that to be the case and because of that, they're just like, eh, you know, we'll chip away at it and eventually it'll just get phased out. And and uh, as long, like, I have my 360, I still play it, but if I can play the remaining games that I'm kind of, you know, ch- chipping away at on the Xbox One, I'd sell my 360 at this point, you know? Like, as soon as Third Strike and Marvel vs. Capcom... Two and some of those other fighting games, Garou, Mark of the Wolves, you know, stuff I bought through Xbox Live Gold are compatible on Xbox One. It will make it easier for me to just sell my 360. I hear what you're saying. It says, I don't know. I just feel a little shame that they're not supporting the old console anymore. Well, you know what it is, man? They really just want... But that's just like I said, because they're already finding the workaround to start phasing that old console out. You know what I mean? Like, hey, backwards compatibility. You know, if you got X, Y... If you got these this handful of titles and they already reside on your Xbox or you own them, then you can just play them on the new hardware. And that's one of those things where, you know, you take it or leave it. 
Like I still like right now I'm playing um the last Assassin's Creed that came out on Xbox 360, uh Rogue, which I bought in the uh the buy one get one free deal at Target. And I'm chipping away at that game, but that's one game along with like I said the 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 fighting games that are on my 360 currently that if they become backwards compatible within the next 6 months, it would probably make it easier for me to just sell my 360 because I have I still have the games. They're just residing in a new system, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. I, I, I follow what you're saying. I, I mean, what I, I guess what I'm saying is just the fact that there are still new games. And when I say new games, I mean games coming out for PS3 that aren't necessarily coming out for PS4. So like the, it's still a viable. System. Oh yeah, yeah. But the, the, it'd be great if, if PS4 had backwards compatibility, but it's like it feel. It just kind of feels like the PS3 is still alive and kicking, and the the 360s on life support. I I can agree with that statement one hundred percent. But you also got to look. You also have to look at the fact that the PS3 is still a viable. You know, the system plays Blu-rays, so it's one of the most versatile Blu-ray players you can own. On top of the fact that, like you said, there's still titles coming out and there's still niche titles that people can play because there's no backwards compatibility on the PS4. You know, like there are certain games I wouldn't I wouldn't trade for my, my, my PS3 for um aside from the fact that it's, you know, backwards compatible and it's a it's a legacy console, I wouldn't trade them in because there's still games that I can still play that will never get double dipped on a PS4. You know, it's never, it'll never happen. Like, you're never going to see, you know, the Street Fighter anthology get released on, you know, with all the alpha games get released on PS4. Maybe down the road if if Capcom was bored, but, you know, it's not something they're going to do or some of the older Darkstalkers games. Like, yeah, maybe they'll put them out, but they're not going to be put out as part of a collection like they were originally, there's a possibility, but it's not it's not guaranteed, you know? Yeah, because Sega hates me, and it seems like I'm never <laughs> going to see the freaking Yakuza series on the freaking PS4 or even the PS3. Can I get freaking Yakuza 0, 1, and 2, assholes? <laughs> but, but, but you see what I'm saying, dude? Like, your, your, your frustration, as comedic as it is, is understandable, and that's that's how PlayStation is able to continue to survive. I mean, look how long it was before PlayStation Two petered out. If you remember, we were doing, we were still, yeah, dude, we were still doing. You know, we were doing. MTR was was going pretty hardcore at that at that point, and there were times we talk about MPD uh, system sales, and PS Two was still selling units. Still, the last PS Two game released in two thousand and thirteen. There you go. And and that's you know that's that's huge, man. And this year, the the statement that everybody last at cost arrived for comes true. The PlayStation Three has a ten year ten year life cycle. Yep, and I can see that. I mean, you know what it is like. Microsoft realized that the Xbox One needed certain things to become a viable system. I mean, I love playing my Xbox One. There's a lot of great games I really enjoy playing. And, you know, I do most of the multiplayer stuff on, 
I st- and, and that's just me. I do a lot more multiplayer stuff on Xbox One and a lot of the single player stuff on PS4. That's just, you know, the logic that I apply just because I feel more comfortable in that space. But um, I almost, while we're on the subject of that, we did uh, create a Rageworks community on the PS4. So if you are on the, on PlayStation 4, you can look up Rageworks community and you can join the community and we'll be able to do some gaming uh, together. I, I did forget to mention that I did set that up over the over the holiday break. No, I'm sure in 2016 we'll get some use out of that. If I can find some way to tie the streaming into that, I will. Yeah, I think I think that would be something that we could definitely grow with. Um, you know, I I did create the community and I start and you know I started really trying to to cultivate a little a little bit and you know there's a decent number of people in there already. Um, I just haven't been playing my PS4. Uh, you 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 can attest to this. I haven't been playing much of anything just because I've been working so much. But um, you know, I think that the communities feature is something that if if harnessed correctly, Sony can do some big things with. Right. Well, the MPD numbers are actually the last bit of news to wrap things up. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah. Um. I really gotta contact Rockstar because did you even know that there, there was a Grand Theft Auto Five update today? Well, nope. Yesterday? Nope. Not at all. Some kind of update having to do with skydiving and stuff. So I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> clearly, clearly they're at a point where it's just like they're they just want to keep it moving. Yeah, but I mean, you gotta have. Not everybody goes to their website. You gotta have somebody put out your news for you. I agree, one hundred and ten percent, sir. I'm definitely with you on that. Anything else? But no, nah, that's about it. I, I gotta put together something for like the big games of this year. I'll either do something on the next the next um, live show or get an article out of something. All right, sounds good. I look forward to it. Um, I appreciate the assist as always. All right, man. I'll talk to you later. You got it, brother. See ya. Peace. All right. That was our very own Slick. Let's uh, wrap things up on the gaming side and switch gears and go into entertainment. Let's get to it. So first things first, we got to start with some Marvel news because it wouldn't be an entertainment segment without some Marvel news. Um, Spider-Man, not the uh, Sony Spider-Man, but the one that Marvel is putting out. And I say this because even though Sony swears up and down that they're lending Marvel Spider-Man, it's they're not lending them shit. Um, but in any case, uh, Sony pictures announced that the, that Marvel's interpretation of Spider-Man will be released July 7th, 2017. This is going to be three weeks earlier than the original release of July 28th. The move comes after Disney moved Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales from July 7th to May of that year. 
Uh, this new Spider-Man film is being written by Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, and it stars Tom Holland, who will be debuting as everyone's friendly, you know, everyone's favorite neighborhood Spider-Man on uh, Captain America Civil War. Uh, very pumped for the brand new Spider-Man. I'm hearing good things about Tom Holland. Um, a lot of people are saying that that his performance in Civil War is going to get a lot of people talking, and I think that the solo Spider-Man film under the Marvel Cinematic Universe will breathe brand new life to a character that's just about as iconic as any other character that Marvel has on the big screen. So we'll see what happens. I mean, you know, Sony, as much as people complain about Sony and what they did with Spider-Man, they they did create a, a massive box office juggernaut. I mean, the first Spider-Man with Tobey Maguire, while, you know, every has its detractors, it still paved the way for so many great other, you know, so many other superhero films. And the fact is that Spider-Man 2 is, you know, probably one of the best um, interpretations, not only of the hero, but of the villain as well. So I think, you know, in in terms of Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man series, I felt that the first film really embodied a lot of what Spider-Man was all about, and the second film embodied a lot of what Spider-Man evolved into from, obviously, the tragedies that he's experienced, and I think that Tom Holland is going to do, he's going to do a good job, and I think that with Spider-Man at home with Marvel, we're going to be able to see something something special and something unique. Uh, 2017 cannot come fast enough for us to check that out. So if we get any other news, of course, keep it locked to Rageworks and MTR, and we will share it with you guys. I did want to talk about something very interesting that came out of an IGN interview with regards to X-Men Apocalypse. As many of you know, the Days of Future Past ending uh, pretty much wiped the slate clean of the prior X-Men films. And now because of that, um, you know, IGN interviewed Simon Kinberg and um, Brian Singer and asked them if there was a possibility that we would see the Dark Phoenix saga adapted once again into the film series. As many of you know, they did try to to implement it in X-Men The Last Stand, but the majority of what made the Phoenix saga so great was, in essence, missing. Um, you know, Kinberg and... Brian Singer said that pretty much now that the slate has been wiped clean, there is a chance that we may see uh, the Phoenix saga unfold with this brand new uh, X-Men slate of films. I think that we are going to see little teases of that in X-Men Apocalypse, and it's something that I think with the cast that they have and the amount of, of real work that's going into it would be uh, something that would be executed very well. I'm curious to see how far they're going to go because obviously uh, the Dark Phoenix is something that requires a lot of work. There were a lot of moving parts in the book and for that to translate to the big screen, I, I think with the work they've done with Days of Future Past and how and how well they did that, that we can we can expect them to do a decent job at minimum with the Dark Phoenix saga. We'll see what happens, but as of right now, that uh, that item is on the table because obviously the ending of Days of Future Past pretty much wiped the slate clean. Mortis says, and he says, I was kind of hoping they would do X-Men Onslaught for the next X-Men movie, which would take place in the 90s. 
I, you know what? That would be really fucking cool. I would not, I would not be opposed to that, but, um, I kind of want to see like the Shi'ar and the Star Jammers and all that stuff with the X-Men. And I think that, you know, doing the Dark Phoenix saga will allow you to do that. But again, uh, something like Onslaught would be pretty cool only because of the relationship between Magneto and Professor X and being able to execute that on the big screen would be very, very impressive. I mean, you know, if there was one good thing that came out of First Class and the other films is how amazing both James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender were. I mean, the the, the X-Men films, yes, you have all the characters at, at your disposal, but at the end of the day, the story boils down to Professor X and Magneto. And because of that, I think uh, what Mortis is saying about utilizing Onslaught would definitely be awesome to see on the big screen. Props, for, props to you, Mortis, for that. Appreciate you sharing that with us. In some other movie news, and this, I, I kind of wanted to put the, lump this in, in what the fuck movie news, but this is really crazy. Deadline is reporting that McGee, who many of you may know from Charlie's Angels and Terminator Salvation, is in talks to direct a new live action version of Masters of the Universe. Now, we've been talking about this for more than a year that they were going to be doing a brand new Masters of the Universe uh, film for the big screen. And while I think that there's a possibility that it will, it could be done very well. I definitely have to say that McGee is not the director you want to use for that. I'm sorry, but definitely not. If anything, there, there's plenty of other directors that you could use. McGee is not one of them. That's for damn sure. In some small screen news, it looks like Fox is going to try and do a TV series based on The Exorcist. Of course, the book from 1971 and the original film are pretty much classics at this point. And of course, they did two sequels and a prequel, but this is going to be an ongoing series that they're going to try and do on Fox. As of right now, they've only ordered a pilot, but we're going to see what the deal is uh, with regards to it becoming a full series. Once we get some casting news, I will definitely be sharing that with you guys because if if you are a horror fan like myself, you know that The Exorcist is probably one of the scariest films you can watch. And um, if if executed right, I think you could do something very cool with a TV series, uh, maybe following the priests and as they're doing different exorcisms and, you know, the one particular demon just existing and manifesting itself in other characters, you know, in other people. I, th- I think you can tell a very solid, compelling story. I just feel that Fox may not be the network for that. That's all I'm saying. In some box office news, uh, The Revenant took the number one slot, earning $16 million, bringing its total to $119.2 million. Uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens uh, held on in the number two slot. Uh, Ride Along 2 came in at number three. Dirty Grandpa came in at number four. I just feel so bad for Robert De Niro just putting out all these shitty-ass comedies. Uh, The Boy was number five. The Fifth Wave was number six. 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi was number seven. Daddy's Home was number eight. Norm of the North came in at number nine. And The Big Short was number 10. Of course, things at the box office are going to be quiet for the time being until Deadpool hits screens in February. I think pretty much that's the only film 
on my slate. I mean, there's stuff that's coming out that I want to see, but you know, I want to see IP man three and, um, I do want to see the revenant and I do want to see hateful eight, but I can definitely wait on those to be available via home video. But, um, you know, I, I, Deadpool is definitely going to be experienced in the theater. The next bit of news is this is this was crazy. I didn't even know that this was something that was being worked on. But Paramount Pictures is working on a Nicktoons crossover movie. According to Deadline, uh, Jared Hess, who did Napoleon Dynamite, is going to direct the film. And it will cross over the following shows. Doug, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, Ah, Real Monsters, and The Angry Beavers. Uh, the style that they're going for is something similar to what they did with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Um, I'm a big fan of Who Framed Roger Rabbit, one of my favorite films. I think when I was cleaning my garage last year, I actually found the bendy Roger Rabbit figure that I had. Um, I'm curious. I'm really curious about this project. I think that it, it has the potential to be something fun for those of us that were watching these cartoons in the 90s. Uh, if executed well, it could be something that will be as iconic as Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like I said, Jared Hess is a good is is a solid talent. He did a really good job with Napoleon Dynamite, which is an extremely underrated and silly film. I think that um you know this film is something that I personally am going to watch very very closely. Again, uh, Nicktoons crossover movie. Uh, with characters from Doug, Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, Ah Real Monsters, and the Angry Beavers is being worked on. Uh, there's no release date as of yet, but once I get one, of course, I will share it with you guys. On the Netflix side of things, I didn't even know how to how to approach this, <laughs> but it looks like they are doing an animated comedy series based on Stretch Armstrong. If you guys remember, the Stretch Armstrong toys were toy were part of a series of commercials that were probably some of the worst that were that you can watch growing up. But it seems that they're actually going to do a series based on it uh, exclusively for Netflix. Of course, this is Netflix's foray into kids programming. Uh, they already have Power Rangers on there and a couple of other shows as well. Uh, Stretch Armstrong is being done to kind of leverage the the more teenage demographic uh we'll see what happens i mean i don't know how much story you have with stretch armstrong but i am curious to see how what netflix is going to do with regards to cultivating uh, a very very strong uh kids lineup i mean hbo already has locked down sesame street which is about as crazy as you can get but um to see netflix trying to put together some some great shows I mean, they already scooped up Power Rangers for 2017. It shows that the trend in terms of programming is changing and people are utilizing other mediums to get stuff out there for kids and young adults alike. Um, am I am I chomping at the bit to check it out? Absolutely not. But I definitely am curious to see what they do with it. I mean, the Inspector Gadget series that they did on Netflix, I actually watched a couple of episodes it did not have the same um it didn't have the same feel as previous inspector gadget cartoons but it was close i mean it definitely was fairly close to what what i remember watching as a kid i mean they're doing the same thing with uh peewee herman and his series which is going to be on netflix as well 
you know, Pee-wee, you grew up watching him Saturday afternoons on Channel 2. It was weird. It was, cr- it was crazy. It was unique. Um, I'm not sure if that's going to translate well to a new audience, but I think from a nostalgia perspective, people are going to want to check it out strictly for the sake of curiosity, much like uh, Stretch Armstrong. I think, you know, it's worth checking out just for the sake of curiosity, but we'll see what happens. Don't have an official release date yet other than it airing in 2017. Obviously, once we get that and some voice talents, we will share that with you guys. Anyway, that is going to be the last story for this week's entertainment segment. Uh, Definitely a little short this week, uh, but again, trying to stay within 90 minutes anyway. So uh, that's going to wrap up that segment, and it is going to wrap up the show as well. So with that, I've given you my take on gaming and entertainment. As always, I would love to hear yours. Hit us up on social media, Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Official RageWorks. You can also find us on Twitter at Rage underscore Works. If you're an Instagram user, you can follow us there, which is RageWorks underscore Rich. For Snapchat, you can follow us. uh, Just look for RageWorks on Snapchat. Uh, We're going to try and start putting the snap code in the show notes for you guys to scan and follow us on Snapchat. Definitely recommend you do that if you want to keep up with our coverage of Toy Fair 2016. Uh, We're going to be doing lots of snaps, lots of stuff for that event. We're going to be doing a a really big push through all our social media channels for the duration of that event. So definitely keep it locked there for that. Um, Archived episodes, including this one, will be available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio within 24 to 48 hours of airing. Uh, Since we did not have video for these last two episodes, Uh, They will be uploaded to iTunes with a stationary image. Uh, Our goal is to be fully operational with video next week. Uh, We'll be doing one episode next week, which is the MMA and wrestling episode on Wednesday. There will not be a gaming and entertainment episode on Thursday due to a podcasting conference that we are attending. But after that, we're going to have a regular broadcasting schedule. I just want to thank Slick for his assist in the gaming segment. And as always, you can find us on social media. Definitely keep it locked to RageWorks.net for all our shows, including MTR, Black is the New Black, the regular season sportscast, and the Buried Show. Um, The My Take Radio app is getting redesigned. That's why I haven't been promoting it. But once the redesign is complete, I will definitely give you guys information. And hopefully, we will make it free so that you guys can download it for iOS Windows Mobile, and Android. Hopefully we'll have an update for that during our next episode. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate all the support and all the positive feedback that we've received. If you really want to help us out, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. We would greatly appreciate it. All right, guys, I will see you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. I am out of here. Peace. Everything, everything, that's all, folks.